We acknowledge the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, where this podcast was produced. We pay respects to their elders, past and present, and extend this respect to the lands you're listening from. Sin Media and the Parliament of Victoria presents your questions answered in Unpack Parliament. Order! So, there's 128 people sitting in a building on Spring Street in Melbourne CBD, listening to inquiries, debating policies and making them laws. But how do you, one of the almost 6.7 million people who aren't sitting in the building, get through to them? How can you possibly have your voice heard? Stick around and find out how on this episode of Unpack Parliament. Welcome to the final episode of Unpack Parliament, our series made possible by the wonderful people at Sin Media and the Parliament of Victoria. My name is Josh Weaver. My name is Max Amani. My name is Rady Rashtan. And my name is Rowan Farron. This episode will look at how you, the listener, can get involved in the goings-on at the Victorian Parliament and have your say on what gets passed and what doesn't. So how do we, young people, get involved in politics? What is the best way to make an impact on the laws, policies and processes that are created and implemented by the State Parliament? For our last episode of our series, we'll discuss three ways you can have your say. First, we'll speak with David Southwick, the member for Caulfield, about speaking directly to your representative member of parliament. Next, we'll speak to Ella George, member for Lara, about committees and how you can participate in an inquiry. Finally, we'll speak with David Limbrick, a representative of the Southeastern Metropolitan District, about petitions, how they work in parliament, and how you can create one. One of the most straightforward ways to get in contact with your MP is to speak to them or their office directly. Wherever you live, you actually have six local members of parliament who represent you, one in the Legislative Assembly and five in the Legislative Council. David Southwick, the Liberal member of Caulfield, currently serves as a Deputy Leader of the Opposition. Here's David to explain the process of contacting your MP. So my name's David Southwick. I'm the member for Caulfield. I'm also the Deputy Leader of the Liberal Party in the Opposition, and I've got portfolio responsibilities in transport and infrastructure, major projects, uh, Commonwealth Games, and also trade and investment. So a whole lot of shadow portfolios, uh, as well as obviously the deputy leader, and most importantly, as a local member for Caulfield. So for this episode, we're talking about how young people can get involved in the parliamentary process. Why is it important for a member of parliament to be accessible? Well, ultimately, it is the voters that elect us. And uh, we need to be accountable and responsible for making their lives easier. And I know it's a bit daunting sometimes for people to think, oh, you know, how do I contact my local MP? Should I contact them? Is my issue important enough? But everybody's circumstances are different. And an MP is ultimately there and responsible to help people in their time of need. It's also confusing, I know, in many instances about who you should contact. But really, I would say to people out there, uh, don't hesitate. If you're struggling, particularly on a government service in terms of something not working properly for you, uh, that's what MPs are there for, to help you make your life easier. So if our listeners wanted to get in touch with their local MP, what would you say are the ways to do that and what can they expect when they make contact? Yeah, well, every MP has a website, so that would probably be my first uh, 
the, the first thing to do is jump on their website, have a look, and most of them will certainly have an email address or contact forms. And so that gets you into a formal process because if an MP hasn't responded, uh, then you've also got the opportunity to then go to whoever the opposition is uh, and say, well, my MP hasn't responded, can you then help me? Uh, and and sometimes, you know, it's an innocent mistake that an MP might make. Other times it might be something where they need a bit of a push and a nudge. And that's what the democratic process of, of parliament's about is. And the fact that we have elected representatives in two houses, both the lower house and upper house, uh, no matter what political party your representative might be in the lower house, you will have somebody in the upper house that you could go to should your local MP is not taking your issue seriously. So what might someone in an electorate contact their MP about and what different things can an MP help with? Are, are there times where someone might need to be redirected to a different yeah. level? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing is a lot of people don't actually know uh, what the tiers of government are. So quite often uh, we as state MPs might get called about, say, an immigration issue, which will be largely a federal uh, issue, or we might get uh, contacted about something to do with uh, our parks or planning issues or even a neighbourhood dispute, which is quite often a local council issue. But every MP really should be able to direct and advocate for you at all tiers of government. And we had to take the very strong attitude that if somebody comes through our door, quite often we're the uh, time of last resort for them. They've already exhausted a whole lot of different things and they're not getting answers. So I say to my um, staff, and, and certainly the attitude I take is, we will help them to whatever tier of government the actual issue is um, is all about. And, you know, there could be issues, particularly at state level, largely around government services. It could be hospitals, healthcare, could be education, could be transport. Uh, it could even be fines. Uh, if you think about anything where the government has failed to act or a government service or a government department has failed to act and you don't feel you're being treated fairly, then... Ultimately, your Member of Parliament uh, should be the person that could advocate on your behalf. So we talked um, about the importance of being accessible and um, to your constituents. What are some ways that you reach out to your community? Mm. So we try to be pretty proactive, and it's something that I started right at the very beginning as being a Member of Parliament. So we have these uh, things called coffee and chats, where I literally set myself up in a local coffee shop, gives the local cafe a bit of extra business, and people just and I have somebody out the front kind of spruiking and say, do you want to come and meet David and talk about your local issue. And we could have 15, 20 people sit around a, a table, all having a coffee and talk about their issues. So that's a way. I also do listening posts where people can um, come in. I book specific times on a Friday particularly where I um, consult with my constituents about local issues. So it's being uh, very visible in the community is really, really important. But I've got to say, even turning up to my local supermarket and buying my um, food, which I love to cook, uh, so I do all of that, and quite often people stop you in the supermarket and talk about their local issue as well. So uh, it's really important for an MP to be accessible. And, I, and I've also got to say that, interesting, you can be suited up, uh, ready to meet people on the street, and no one wants to come near you. You can have your dog in your hand in your trackies and just be going for a casual walk with your, with your partner, and everyone wants to have a chat. So it's about being approachable in a more relaxed environment where people can actually have that conversation with you and feel as though um, they're, they're not encroaching on you as well. So I think a lot of that is something that's really, really important as local MPs for us to be conscious of. Yeah, definitely, definitely. 
Uh, we've we've heard as well that all Victorians have six members of parliament who represent them. What does this actually mean and how do you know which one to reach out to if there's an issue? Yeah, so a bit like I said before, so you've got federal uh, members of parliament, you've got a state member of parliament, and then you've got members of parliament in the upper house as well. So those members of parliament in the upper house uh, mean that no matter um, what side of politics, you're always going to have somebody from another side of politics to... Uh, to be able to represent you and your issue, which I think is really important in our uh, in our democratic system. And you take, you know, if there is something and you've got an issue against the government and your local MP happens to be from that government, they might not necessarily push as hard for your issue. And that's where you might need to go to the opposite party, say in the upper house, to that local member to say, well, look, you know, this is an issue. The government's doing something that doesn't seem quite right. And then that person from the other political party can take your concerns into parliament, into the media to really um, vocalise it for you. And there are some really good ways, you know, petitions doing um, real stories. So us as local MPs, we might raise issues with the media, we might raise issues in parliament, but nothing beats a real case study of somebody that's been hard done by. And so if we can get somebody that say, to stand up, and it's really hard to do this, but to stand up and say, look, we're being victimised or the government's not taking us seriously, on this particular issue, the media are more likely to report on that story and then you've got more chance of getting something changed. And that individual standing up for a particular concern that they're having, quite often they're one of many, many hundreds or thousands of people that are facing similar situations. So it's really important for people to stand up and be a voice when they're being hard done by. Mm. So, listener, uh, if you have a story you want to have heard, Make sure you get in touch with uh, your Member of Parliament. To find out who your MPs are, access the Parliament of Victoria's website through the Member of Parliament search bar. Contact information can be found all online through the Parliament of Victoria's website. Unpack Parliament. An impactful way to get involved in the parliamentary process is to get involved in inquiries. We spoke to Ella George, Labor Member for Lara, and currently serving as Chair of the Legislative Assembly Legal and Social Issues Committee. Here's Ella to explain what a committee is and what it does. Hi everyone, my name's Ella George. I'm the State Member for Lara, which covers Geelong's northern suburbs and the rural north of Geelong. And I'm the Chair of the Legislative Assembly's Legal and Social Issues Committee. So what is a parliamentary committee and what does it do? Parliamentary committees are made up of members of parliament. They can be members of from the Legislative Council and the Legislative Assembly. And parliamentary committees look a bit deeper into some current issues uh, and make recommendations back to government about how the government can address these issues and create a better Victoria. Uh, committees can inquire into specific issues, scrutinise legislation, and also provide oversight of Victoria's finances and integrity system. Then the committees will make findings and recommendations for change back to the government in terms of a final report. Are there different types of committees in Parliament? Yeah, there are four main types of parliamentary committees. There's joint investigatory committees. These are the Electoral Matters Committee, Integrity and Oversight Committee, Public Account and Estimates Committee, and the Scrutiny of Acts and Regulations. Uh, so the Public Accounts and Estimates Committee is one that's pretty well known. A big part of their role is to scrutinise the budget papers, and that process has just finished uh, with the budget estimates uh, hearings over the past few weeks. 
Uh, there's also standing committees, so each, both the Legislative Assembly and the Legislative Council have three standing committees. The current standing committees are the Econ- Economy and Infrastructure Committee, Environment and Planning Committee, and the Legal and Social Issues Committee. So there's a committee in both assemblies that, um, both the Assembly and the Council, so both Houses of Parliament, that looks at issues uh, across those topic areas. Then there's domestic committees, which focus on the operations of Parliament. So these are the Privileges Committee, the Standing Orders Committee, the House Committee and the Dispute Resolution Committee. Uh, And lastly, there are select committees. So a select committee is when the Legislative Council or the Legislative Assembly decides to establish one committee to look specifically at an issue. An example of this is the current select committee on Victoria's recreational native bird hunting arrangements, which is comprised of Legislative Council members. So why are committees important? Committees are really important because they address and investigate topical issues in great detail. Committees play an important role because they can consider issues in depth over a longer period of time. For example, the committee that I'm on has a reporting period of 12 months. Committees can carry out inquiries, which means receiving public submissions, hearing witnesses and experts in their fields, sifting through evidence, discussing matters in great detail, drawing conclusions and then making recommendations to government. How are the inquiry topics determined? Committees are given issues to investigate either by the Legislative Assembly or the Legislative Council. The committee investigates a topic and that's called the inquiry, like the inquiry that I'm working on with my committee into increasing the number of registered organ and tissue donors. And then the scope of the topic is called the terms of reference. The terms of reference can provide a committee with greater detail on the subject matter, the scope and the timeline for the inquiry. For example, with the inquiry that I'm working on, we were given a 12-month reporting deadline and that's included in the terms of reference. So to give you an example of the inquiry that I'm working on at the moment, the topic for the Legislative um, Assembly Legal and Social Issues Committee is the inquiry into the increasing the number of registered organ and tissue donors. And our terms of reference are that this House refers an inquiry into increasing the number of registered organ and tissue donors to the Legal and Social Issues Standing Committee for consideration and report no later than 31 March 2024. So that gives us a bit of scope to work with, but also a reporting deadline. In in terms of that um, inquiry that you're working on at the moment, how did the process first begin and where are you now with it? The process began in March this year when we received a referral from the Legislative Assembly to commence the inquiry. Since then, uh, we have met as a committee several times. We called for public submissions and we had many written submissions come through that process. And now we've just started our public hearing. So we've had our first two public hearings where we've heard from witnesses, experts in their fields across the area of organ and tissue donation. uh, And public hearings will continue over the next couple of months. So you're currently the chair of this committee. What is the process of being appointed as the chair like and what are the particular responsibilities that you have as a committee chair? Once a committee is established, the first order of business at its first meeting is to appoint a chair. So our committee manager chaired the first meeting and called for nominations for chair, um, to which I nominated and was, um, you know, really honoured to have been elected by my fellow committee members to that position. Following that, we also called for nominations for a deputy chair role and Annabelle Cleland, the member for Uroa, is the deputy chair of this committee. This episode's about how our listeners can get involved in parliamentary processes. We know that someone can write a submission to an inquiry. Why would a young person want to write a submission to an inquiry and how would they go about it? 
Young people's voices are so important in this inquiry and, quite frankly, all inquiries taking place across Victoria. Probably the easiest way to get involved in an inquiry is to make a public submission. So that involves uh, putting pen to paper, writing down your thoughts, reflecting on your experiences and sending something through to the committee. But apart from that, there's opportunities for young people to appear at uh, public hearings. Uh, from time to time, committees have held young people like youth roundtables where a group of young people can get together and share their views on a particular issue. Uh, And I think it's really important that young people take every opportunity they can to, to make a submission or to appear before a public hearing. In your current inquiry, have you heard much from young people? We haven't heard directly from young people, but we have heard from people who work with young people. So we've had some researchers from La Trobe University present their findings. Uh, They did some research into young people's awareness about organ and tissue donation. We also had representatives from Cool Australia come and present. Cool Australia write educational resources and materials for high school students, and they've created a module for years nine and year 10 students to learn about organ and tissue donation in the classroom. So during your inquiries, you'll hear submissions from witnesses. Um, How do you choose a witness and what's their role? That's a great question. So we choose witnesses based on the people who are experts in their field relating to the inquiry that uh, we're hearing. So, for example, in this inquiry about organ and tissue donation, we've heard from people like the Organ and Tissue Authority, Donate Life Victoria, major healthcare organisations in Victoria, including Alfred Health and Austin Health. And we're talking to experts in their field and they can provide the committee with fantastic evidence that really speaks to the terms of reference of the committee and then will help the committee form uh, an evidence base from which we can make recommendations down the track. And so what are the particular responsibilities of the chair? The chair oversees the work of the committee, um, and this includes impartially running committee meetings, public hearings, and ensuring that correct procedure is followed. As the chair, I work really closely with the committee manager to ensure that the committee completes its work effectively and on time. And I play a key role in administration and procedure, meetings and public hearings, leading inquiries and oversight functions, and also promoting the committee work. So how did you, as a young person, initially get involved in government? I actually did work experience with my local MP when I was in year 10. And then after that, I joined Young Labor. And there's lots of opportunities for people to join the youth wings of their political parties. So if you're interested, I definitely get in touch with a political party that you think shares your values and get involved from there. Well, thank you very much for your time, Ella. It's been great speaking with you. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you've learned a bit about parliamentary committees. To find more information regarding current inquiries or to make a submission to an inquiry, take a look at the Parliament of Victoria's website. You're listening to Unpack Parliament. If you want to start your own conversation in Parliament, one way to achieve that is to start a petition. Recent changes to Vic Parliament's procedures now mean that any petition submitted to the Legislative Council, which receives more than 2,000 signatures on paper or 10,000 online, must be discussed during a session, once tabled or introduced by an MP. We spoke with David Limbrick, member of the Libertarian Party, representative of the Southeastern Metropolitan District, and the first MP to table a petition since this new change about petitions and the process. My name is David Limbrick. I'm a member of parliament in the upper house uh, representing the Southeast Metro region. Um, I was elected in uh, November 2018 and then was uh, re elected in November 2022. Uh, I'm on a few committees in Parliament. I'm in the um, Scrutiny of Acts and Regulations Committee, 
and also the Economy and Infrastructure Committee. For this episode, we're talking about ways young people can get involved in parliamentary processes. What is a petition and how is a state parliament petition different from ones we see often online like change.org? Yeah, so a state parliament petition, there's two types of petitions. You can either have an e-petition, which is one online, or you can have a uh, traditional petition, which is like, you know, the piece of paper that you hand out and collect signatures. Uh, It's different in a couple of ways. Firstly, uh, it's limited to citizens of Victoria, so you can only sign it if if you live in Victoria. Um, It does require a name and address to check, uh, and Parliament staff will check uh, validity of that. And um, the other big difference is that one of these petitions can actually be presented to Parliament and uh, trigger certain parliamentary mechanisms. For example, you can, uh, members of Parliament can speak to a petition once it's been tabled in Parliament, and also... uh, a new mechanism that's only just started this in this term of parliament is that a minister uh, has to respond to the petition. Previously, they didn't have to, and they usually didn't, um, but now they have to respond to petitions. So I haven't seen any responses to petitions yet, but I'll look forward to seeing them. Well, yeah, as, as you mentioned, there's been a recent change. Um, in March this year, you initiated the first debate under these new rules, which was about digital privacy regarding health records. Could you talk us through that process that you went through from where it started, how you got involved and what resulted from that? Sure. So, yes, as you, as you say, there was um, some changes to the mechanisms for petitions uh, this term. And one of them I already outlined in that the minister has to provide a response to, to the petition. But another change that was made was... Uh, if a petition, so if it's an e-petition, the, the limit is 10,000 signatures. If, uh, if the petition reaches 10,000 signatures, it triggers a special debate slot during uh, general business on Wednesdays in Parliament that goes for half an hour and MPs can stand up and uh, talk to the petition during that debate time. So it's, it's a bit different to making a statement on a petition. Um, normally... In the old system, if a petition was uh, tabled, an MP could speak to it for up to five minutes uh, and only a limited number of MPs could probably do that. But um, this debate slot means it sort of gives it more significance. So if a petition has got that you know widespread support, then uh, it, it allocates some parliament time to it. And so... What we did, um, there was a bill earlier this year, you're right, the Health Information Sharing Bill, that we decided we wanted to uh, push back against the government on because we thought that uh, it was a breach of medical privacy because there was no no ability for patients to opt out of this system. So under the federal My Health Record, there's an option to for patients to opt out of it if they don't want to be involved in it. And this Victorian Health Information Sharing System didn't have that. And so we thought that this was uh, something worth fighting against. So um, a member of the public uh, set up a a petition and that members of the public can set up petitions. It's not members of parliament that set them up. It's members of the public, although members of parliament can assist. And uh, we asked for in the petition to allow people to opt out. And so we promoted that very heavily on social media. Um, You know, my followers and the followers of others that... uh, promoted it, it was very uh, popular because lots of people are concerned about medical privacy. And we actually hit that 10,000 mark within sort of 
72 hours. It was quite, quite remarkable. Um, and so that triggered the debate slot and then we got that half an hour. And because it was the first time it had ever been triggered, uh, yeah, the government and hadn't, I don't know, the government didn't speak on it, uh, but members of the other members of the chamber did. So from the opposition and crossbench and stuff talked about it. And um, yeah, so, I mean, I suppose we just saw that 10,000 as a, as a challenge, right? So we, we tried to um, get that and we got it fairly easily because it turned out to be an issue that people were really concerned about. Mm, definitely. Can, can you give us some examples of action that's come about as a result of petitions in parliament? Yeah. So look, as to the government directly acting on petitions, I don't think that happens too often, but the value of petitions, I think, is showing or increasing the, the cost for the government to do something, right? Or, or making it clear that there is opposition or support for that matter for something that the government's doing. I think that if we hadn't have had that petition uh, for the health information sharing bill, uh, the government wouldn't have really known that there was widespread opposition to what they were doing. And I think they were quite surprised that we got th that 10,000 quite easily. Uh, in the end, it turned out to be quite easy. But I, I think that's the general thing. Like if you get a petition with a large number of signatures, uh, you know, members of parliament will start to squirm a bit because they're like, okay, well, there's a lot more opposition to this than what we thought, like, because it's, it is a little bit of a pain for people to sign a petition. You know, they've got to put their name and address in, they've got to sign up. So um, for that many people to go to that effort uh, indicates that there's something going on in the community. Mm. You, you touched on it just before, but um, how can listeners get involved in the petitioning process in terms of who can make, who can sign, how do you start a petition? Sure. Um, so to uh, make a petition, you have to be uh, a uh, resident in Victoria. Firstly, uh, anyone can make a petition, uh, anyone at all, uh, and you contact the either the... the uh, table office for um, the upper house, if the petition's going to be in the upper house or uh, similarly for the lower house. So I think it's just the email address is just council at uh, parliament.vic.gov.au. But if you go to parliament's website, they've got lots of information about petitions and how to start a petition. And then once you start a petition, um, you'll, you'll get uh, someone from the um, table office will contact you and you know help you with the format and stuff and and because it's, it's got to be in a particular format uh, and make sure that it's you know going to comply with all that and then the next step is if you want to get it tabled in parliament you need a sponsor for a petition and a sponsor has to be a member of parliament and so what will often happen is someone will start a petition and they'll contact me or other members of parliament and request that I sponsor it and if you know if I I'm happy with the petition, then I might choose to sponsor it or not. And then if I sponsor it, once the petition closes, it'll get tabled in parliament. So I'll be the one that stands up and actually reads out and tables it in parliament. And then it can uh, be eligible for all of the other parliamentary mechanisms, such as um, speaking to it, or if it gets enough signatures, you can get that debate slot and this sort of thing. It won't actually be tabled though, unless you have a sponsor. So my advice to people that want to start a petition is before you actually set it up, maybe contact a member of parliament about it first, 
check, you know, with them that they're going to be comfortable sponsoring it. Because the last thing that you want is you go to all this trouble of setting up a petition and you can't find a sponsor because, you know, the Member of Parliament doesn't like what you're trying to do or thinks it's not quite right. So it's best to discuss it first. And we often get people contacting us asking, you know, they want to set up a petition and they'll ask for our advice and, you know, what would we be willing to uh, sponsor and that sort of thing. And we're happy to have those discussions with um, members of the public. Yeah. Yeah, right. Why do you think it's important that Victorians have access to this petition system? Look, I think it's important. There's as many mechanisms as possible for Victorians to interact with Parliament. And petitions are a really good way to do that because people can take a proactive uh, stance themselves. They can, you know, start their own petition, get it sponsored. There's a number of other ways that um, members of the public can get involved in parliamentary processes. But petitions are a really good way, especially if they're running some sort of campaign on a local issue. It provides a call to action that they can send out to people on social media. Or if they're hitting the streets, they can do it with the old fashioned ones, just get people to sign a piece of paper. Um, so I think it's a really good way for people to get involved in parliamentary processes. Hmm. And, and what do you hope that this new change to the petitioning process can achieve in the future? Look, I hope that, um, you know, having that 10,000 goal, it, it sort of incentivizes people. In the last term of parliament, uh, I sponsored lots of petitions and lots of people, uh, you know, set up petitions for all sorts of things during the pandemic. And the response, the feedback that I got from constituents was that they were very disappointed with petitions. Um, there wasn't a lot of things that could happen with them. And I think the changes that they've made now to, um, you know, force the minister to respond firstly so that people aren't ignored, I think that that's totally reasonable. You know, if, if members of the public have gone to the trouble of signing a petition, the least that the government can do is, you know, respond to them. And secondly, that goal of 10,000, I think it it shows to the government and the rest of the members of parliament that for this particular topic, whatever it might be, uh, there's a large number of people that are willing to uh, stand up and say something about it. And I hope that that will have some sort of influence on, you know, what members are talking about in parliament and, and what they vote on, because they'll realise that actually there's a large number of people care about that particular issue and maybe they need to think about it a bit more carefully well thank you very much for your time david it's been lovely speaking with you yeah you too thanks a lot to find more information about starting a petition or to find and sign current petitions take a look at the victorian parliament's website thank you for listening to unpack parliament again a big thank you to david southwick ella george and david limbrook for speaking with us this final episode of Unpacked Parliament was written, performed, and produced by Josh Weaver, Max Amani, Rowdy Rushton, and Rowan Farron. As this is the final episode, we'd also like to extend our thanks to the rest of the Unpacked Parliament team, Abia Fatima, Dylan McBurney, Nicole Yaniza Bagatsing, and Stella Thompson. We'd also like to thank Naomi Simmons, who works as the Parliament of Victoria's Youth and Community Partnerships Coordinator, and Laura Green and Sammy Perriman, our facilitators and executive producers from Sid Media. Thank you again for listening to Unpack Parliament. This has been our final episode of the series. For more information regarding Parliament and its processes, take a look at the Parliament of Victoria website.